Welcome to the Jesse Garcia Show, your half-hour home for politics, culture, and art. We come to you every week with a new story about your world. Today's guest is Gabby Garcia Vera from Catholics for Choice. We'll talk about navigating towards a safe space in today's Catholic Church, which has increasingly leaned right in U.S. politics. Gabby will share how his organization helps others express their Catholicism as it is lived by ordinary people, and that they are part of the great majority of the faithful who disagree with the dictates of the Vatican on matters related to sex, marriage, family life, and motherhood. Thank you for following The Jesse Garcia Show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. For more information about the podcast, visit jessegarciashow.com. Abortion, contraception, HIV and AIDS, sex and sexuality, new reproductive health technologies, and religion and public policy. Hard and unrealistic stances by the Roman Catholic Church on all these issues just mentioned has helped drive members out of the church. For some Catholics, like Gabby Garcia Vera, they've decided to stay and fight, which is why he ended up at Catholics for Choice which provides the most effective counterpoint to the vocal, well-financed, and powerful Roman Catholic hierarchy, which presents itself as the sole moral arbiter on matters where sexuality and reproduction intersect with religion and faith. Today, Gabby explains how Catholics for Choice goes up against the real threats resulting from the inappropriate role the Vatican tries to play in public policy, and he shares his personal feelings about his connection with God and finding a space for queer brown folks. I want to welcome to the show my very good friend, Gabriel Garcia Vera, affectionately known as Gabi. Uh, he is a wonderful individual that I met, heard him speak at one of my groups that I volunteer with. And after I heard him speak about the work he does for Catholics for Choice, I'm like, I got to get him on the podcast. I love your energy and spirit and your inter intersectionality and all the stuff that you do. I mean, you speak with passion and I'm like, I got to get him on the podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Gabby. Thanks for having me. You know, it's, it's funny that you say that because when I was younger, I was like, Fuck, you're like, you're scrawny, you're small, you're queer, <laughs> you're like, you, you've got like, you've got a ton of hormones like running through you and you're like, this is the worst. And then you grow up and you're like, actually, this is my superpower. <laughs> exactly. I am everything all at once. <laughs> what I love about it is that you go into a room and you command attention because you're a great storyteller. And those are the people that I like to bring on the podcast, people that have an interesting story and background. Uh, what got you involved with Catholics for Choice? Um, I've been doing reproductive health rights, justice work, you know, the larger part of the last 10 years. And prior to that and mixed in there, you know, a lot of my work in particular in immigration spaces or in LGBTQ spaces, moving like deeper civil rights work. Um, for me, it was interesting because I sort of, you know, <laughs> I always I always lean on the saying, um, that they have in English, which is like, you know, when God closes the door, he opens the window. The question is really, are we going to jump? That I think <laughs> is the part we never really ask ourselves, that leap of faith. Um, and at the time, you know, I have gone through my own just kind of spiritual journey on how I arrived. My family is culturally and practicing Catholic and some of them still practice. And, you know, 
And for a lot of Catholics, that's like the identification of like, are you an Easter and Christmas Catholic? Or are you like a everyday Catholic? You know, there, there, there are so many iterations de una cultura adentro de como nosotros lo pensamos, right? Like how we really think about all the cultural dynamics that play out. Um, and so I, I wound up at Catholics for Choice, and I think for the first time in a long time, the thing that was really powerful for me about working at Catholics for Choice was the idea that I, I had been a person of faith at that point and re-engaged in my faith for years, but not really talked about it with anybody. Because honestly, truth be told, religion has done so much harm to people, right? And 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 leaning into a real conversation, right? We have to acknowledge the harm that has been made in the name of religion if we're really to move forward, right? To really be in alignment with what we say. And so I think coming to Catholics for Choice for me was sort of like God's intervention in a lot of ways. I think I think it was just a really it was a really interesting sort of circumstance. I was I was looking for work at the time, the position opened up. I was super, super excited to help kind of continue to build out the work that was happening. And for the first time, you know, and now I've been here about two years, and for the first time in a long time, I I was having conversations with people of faith that I thought I would never have with anybody in my life. You know, one of the interesting things about where I work is like when I tell people where I work, everybody has a story. And I think Brene Brown says something super powerful, which is, you know, everybody has a story that'll make you feel like you're on top of the mountain and everybody has a story that'll bring you to your knees. And I find that in religion, we deal in the currency of faith, you know? And so for a lot of people, what that means is everybody has a story where they have felt alienated by maybe the hierarchy or someone's interpretation of religion or the way that religion has been used to harm people. And people also, because life is not so black and white as we would like for it, people also have stories about the moments in which they've had faith in other people or faith in God or faith in whatever, you know, somebody prays to that have made them feel invincible. I'm in that bucket because there's so many times when I look at the church and I'm like, what are you doing? You know, why aren't you working with the poor? You know, why are you so hot on this issue when we have all these people, these undocumented people that need shelter, these, um, refugees that need assistance you know why are you so caught up on this other issue you know lgbt rights or abortion rights uh women equality i mean i i'm in that bucket but then i see wonderful work like the um sister norma pimentel in rio grande valley who's helping all these wonderful wonderful people she's amassing all these people that live in the valley to help all these immigrants that have arrived and sheltering them. And is she getting money from companies and, and Fortune 500s? No, she's getting it from low income Catholics that live in Rio Grande Valley, helping out their own, you know? It's beautiful moments like that, that doesn't make me give up on the Catholic church, you know? And it's, it's just like you said, it just takes an act of one individual to say, this is why this religion helps many and gives hope to many. I mean, I think, but I think that is a perfect example, right? Like we both have to be willing to lean in with people and have, like, we have to be willing to have conversations that are messy, right? Because faith requires vulnerability. And from my perspective, right? Like vulnerability is something, 
is something, it is the thing that like threads relationship, right? And whether that be with self, with spirit, with friends, with family, whoever, right? It requires us to be very vulnerable because it requires us to shed the armor to show up in that conversation, right? And I think in that way, like we also have to acknowledge that not all leadership is perfect, right? We would love to say that like we aspire to walk in the image of God and to be able to do that is to also be flawed, right? Like, because the Jesus that I grew up with, you know, was flip was flipping bank tables and, you know, <laughs> fucking shit up and getting arrested. And, you know, the Jesus that I knew was hanging out with the poor and, did, and cared little about, like, monetary wealth. And I think the flip side of that is that we have to understand that just because someone is in leadership, it doesn't mean that their perspective is right. One of the things that I, one of the things that I love the most about some of the work that we do is institutionally, we use this saying a lot, and I firmly believe it, right? The Catholic Church is not a hierarchy. It is, it is not a building. It is not a scripture. It is, it is not an object. It is a people. It is, it is the people sitting in the pews, the people showing up when they're not going to church to pray, to be in connection with God and with spirit and whatever, you know, the thing is that ties you back to religion. You know, for me, that thing is ceremony and tradition. Like the thing that I connect with that feels really holy to me is the ritual of like yeah. of religion. It's the thing that makes me feel like I'm doing something collectively versus that I'm on my own. And I think that it's important to understand that when we look at it from that perspective, we also have to like, we have to push for the values that we believe, right? So like if we're talking about social justice, social justice just doesn't end at the end of the table when the conversation becomes uncomfortable. It requires us to challenge the leadership and understand that we can shift and we can grow. So like the Catholic Church, you know, the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops in 1973 out a statement saying that they disavowed racism in this country. Well, I don't know about you, but in 1973, I'm like, all right, I'm like, I'm like, homie, you late, (laughs) you know? And in that same way, and in that same way, I ask people, I say, do you believe the Catholic church to be an institution that mongers for war? And people are like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, explain the Inquisition, explain the Crusades to me, explain how we engage in these things. You know, so when we show up in conversation and we're like, well, all Catholics, well, all Catholics, a lot of people, right? There are 380 odd, maybe 360 odd, like members of the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops that make the leadership of our religious institution in this country. Now, I think 360 odd people plus maybe, right, is really different than the opinion of 70 million Catholics across the country. And what we know from talking to 70 million Catholics is that the people at the top don't always really understand what the people at the bottom believe, feel, or think. That's a problem that um, the church is facing. Uh, a big part of the, uh, the church is Latinx. Uh, mm-hmm. New generations of Latinx are not committed as the older ones. And a recent study from the Pew, the uh, 2014 study said that they are leaving. What does Catholics for Choice feel about this demographic change going on in the church? I, well, I, I will say what I believe. I believe that 
I believe that at this current moment, like the highest growing population of people is actually Latinx people, but it's older, right? The, the conversation that we're having is not necessarily just about Latinx culture, even though I think because of some of the reasons that I said earlier, right, the tradition, the way we integrate it into our own culture is very different than a lot of the ways that, for instance, maybe it's integrated in Africa or it's integrated here in the U.S., right? It's a very culturally relative experience. I think what we're seeing across the board is that young people are leaving the Catholic Church. And the Catholic Church has had these moments where like on Twitter, they're like having full blown Twitter chats and they're like, we recognize that young people are leaving. And why are young people leaving? And I almost verbatim, I remember reading a tweet where the guy was like, I come for the hymns and I come for the ritual. I leave because of the like vitriolic, like it's this or like damnation that I feel from the pulpit, right? And people are leaving and people are leaving the church because we have we have begun to run askew on our priorities. The truth of the matter is we spend a lot of time like well, not we. We as a lot of people. The US Conference of Catholic Bishops yeah. spends a lot of time in state legislatures and focused on like moving issues you know, around banning and limiting access to reproductive health rights and justice in the same way that they historically have also opposed LGBTQ issues, right? And that is not to say that they have not come some way forward, right? Like people are actively working, there are people moving, there is a, there's, there are coalitions of people both moving the church on reform around LGBTQ issues and around reproductive health and women's rights in general. But I think the truth of the matter is people are leaving because there is a moral vacuum of leadership in our church. And that is not to say that we have gone so far askew that we cannot find our way back, but I think we need to really challenge the idea that the system and the structure cannot change because for it to survive and for it to really thrive in a way that is intentional, that is, you know, in the image of God, like we have to also commit to like doing the hard work and the hard work is not the easy conversation. It's not opting out because it's uncomfortable. It's leaning in to find compassion for people at every stage, right? In every moment. It's a lot of questions to ask. And 2020 is not letting up. Being Catholic and no. courts, you're, you're, you're in the middle of a season where we have a Supreme Court justice, a Catholic uh, nomin- nominee that's going up for a, uh, a Supreme Court justice spot who's anti-choice, with a background with anti-choice. And then you got bishops that are telling people, telling the priests not to give uh celebrate mass with democrats you know they're taking a political stance they're taking church and making it part of uh, a political institution mm-hmm. the stances on that for the uh, catholics for choice how do you all feel about that catholics for choice position has always been that of religious freedom. And I think religious freedom feels supercharged for a lot of people because it's this really sort of, for a lot of people, it's very esoteric, right? But for us, it really comes down to Catholics defending the right to religious freedom for all people and really rejecting discrimination, especially discrimination in the name of religion, right? We have to look at 
when discrimination is rooted in our in our deep faith or in its reverence, that is in straight denial of our Catholic belief that our conscience is the thing that sacredly connects us to God. You know, as Catholics, we have a duty to follow our conscience in moral decision making and a responsibility to fight for others to do the same. And as both Catholics and Americans in whatever shape and format that looks like, both documented and undocumented people that make up this country, we have an obligation to ensure that the next Supreme Court will uphold the fundamental moral and constitutional like principles of this country, which means that religious freedom can't just mean that because I'm Catholic, I impose whatever Catholics believe onto you and everyone else, right? We have to have a society that is governed from that. You know, and I think I think part of why it feels like this Supreme Court nomination is being rushed forward is because it is, right? We are seeing people at so many different sides of this conversation really turning their back on their word from four years ago, right? I I remember this conversation. And I think the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops has strategically at different moments intervened in very clear and harmful ways. Like my, my personal belief and our organizational belief is that it is immoral to use the sacraments and weaponize them in service to religion, right? Like to use religion as a weapon to subjugate a people because they do not believe or share a value with you. Well, that to me sounds like oppression. <laughs> um, you know, and, and we have to hold that and we have to hold our bishops and our priests accountable. It is not appropriate to use the sacraments. I would, I would never deny someone communion or service or ritual of death because I had a moral like because I had a moral disagreement with them. And we have seen bishops across this country, bishops, priests, you name it, people at every level of the church. We have seen them deny legislators communion. We have seen them turn away legislators from family members' burial services, right? Like the idea that you would do that to someone who is sitting there in pain, showing up to be faith in hand, to be with their family, to me is an immoral is an immoral and violent act, no matter how you slice it. Knowing what you know, you know, what go, goes on behind the scenes, how do, you, how do you remain Catholic? I was born Catholic, but somewhere in the 2000s, early 2000s, I left the church, went to UCC, so I could you know, celebrate um, with others, you know, um, on Sundays. I'm, Every time I go back home, I do celebrate, you know, Catholic rituals with my family during the holidays, but it's almost like it makes it really tough to be still with this religion. How do you stay in the, in the Catholic church? What keeps you there? I mean, I think, you know, I know they say that Catholics believe in guilt. <laughs> but I, <laughs> but I, I personally, you know, I find space between God and myself to like work the things out that I think need working out, right? And there are a couple of things that like aren't up for debate. Like my worthiness as a person, my connection to like God isn't like a thing that I'm willing to debate with people. Yeah. And I think the way that I stay 
in the church for me is so much about when we sit with ourselves, what does religion mean? And what are the things about religion that connect us to something that feels bigger than ourselves? Because ultimately, I think we seek religion because we seek connection, right? Like, what is God other than the tether that connects us all, right? Um, the, the thing that connects our spirits to each other even. And I think one of the, one of the hardest hypes to move through, and I think, and I hold this truth to be so real because I think I thought it all my life as a young queer person was who's going to love me as I am, exactly. right? Like, gonna love who's gonna love me and all like you know and when you're young everything feel at least for me when I was young everything felt so big and it felt so overwhelming and there were so many times where like you know for keeping it a hundred like I wanted to give up I wanted to be like cool I get to opt out because that's where I'm at but I think the most important thing is like, and I feel like I get so inspired by young people. Like I see a young generation of people that are in high school and I'm like, yo, the kids are going to be all right. Like they right. know what's up and they ain't taking shit from nobody. Right. Um, but like your faith is yours. It belongs to you and nobody else. And nobody gets to tell you that because it doesn't fit in this nice, neat little box that it is somehow bad that you were somehow not built in the likeness of God. Well, I got news for people. There, there are hundreds of thousands and probably millions of queer and trans people in the Catholic church. And guess what? If we're all made in God's image, then I guess God must be queer. And I guess God must be trans. And I guess like that we are in the image of the thing that we aspire to be. Just like our relationships, as imperfect as they are, are in relationship to our connection to God. And I think that's how, that's how I stay in the church, right? I also, I also have to subscribe to some fundamental like rules about survival, which is like my worthiness and my value are not tied to the opinion of a single person just because they're standing in the pulpit. Amen. Like my, my humanity is not tied to that either, right? Like if you can't see my humanity, I don't need to sit there to listen to you. Right. And I have, and I have stood up many a times in mass when, you know, when there has been an anti-healthcare, anti-abortion sermon and somebody's gone off the rails and been like, I don't need to sit here to listen to this. I don't need to wait to take communion with you because you think that it's appropriate to use your platform to oppress people. And I can still walk back into that space the next week and understand that it is still a space for me because relationships are complicated, right? Exactly. And I can hold two things that are super complex at the same time. And, you know, and the thing about my faith is like, the thing that keeps me in it is like, I want to make it better. I want to look at like another like young, brown, queer, Puerto Rican like person finding their way through the world and be like, this space is for you. And I want to fight for that person. Just like I wish someone had been there to fight for me. And many people have, right? Like we stand on the shoulders of giants, right? And when we talk about queer people in particular in the church, there is, there are generations of people that will never get to experience the things that we have experienced because we have lost generations of our 
friends, of our family, of the people we love to an epidemic, right? And so like in this moment, more saliently than, than probably any moment in my life, I feel the responsibility of that now. Yes. When we live in a pandemic, thinking about the lives that were sacrificed in the name of progress, right? The people that didn't have to die, but died from the neglect, both of a church and an institution that refused to acknowledge us, but of a government and a system and a structure that denied our health and our humanity for as long as they did, right? And without the activism of places like ACT UP, right? And the leadership of black and brown and indigenous folks, like we wouldn't be where we are. For those who are still part of the Catholic Church, but need an alternative to worship, what do you recommend they go celebrate mass? So we in particular organize lay people, but we do not work like, and we do church reform work, but that's not our specialty at Catholics for Choice. I would say there are two organizations that I would point people in their direction that are doing really amazing work. One is Dignity, doing work with LGBTQ people in the church. Um, and the other one is actually the Women's Ordination Conference. And they really, in particular, focus on female leadership in the church. Um, and I think we have to, I think in this time of COVID, some good self-reflection is that we have to reimagine what connection looks like. Exactly. And it, and it feels hard because it is unknown and not knowing how something is feels vulnerable and that's why it feels hard so like i'll say that right like it's not easy it requires us to like dig a little deeper mm-hmm. i also think like you need to like people can you can opt out right and opt in just as easily you can show up to a conversation and if you are listening to a mass online or virtually or even if you're in a church right and someone says something that is in direct disalignment with who you are right both fundamentally morally understandably you have the right to get up you don't have to we don't have to sit there we don't have to hold people's ignorance because they are uncomfortable with our truths um and in that same way I think for folks that feel called, there is a powerful moment of exchange that happens when we look at the people in leadership in our church and we can understand and push back and hold space for curiosity, right? We can show up in conversation with people that have maybe treated us poorly and we can find a way to restorative justice together if we're willing to have that conversation. That being said, you don't have to engage with people that are actively doing you harm, right? Yeah. And I think it's a it's an ever evolving conversation in our like in our society as we continue to grow with the development of like technology and especially in these times where we're trying to reimagine what meeting looks like, what connecting looks like. Try it out. Try it all out. Now's the time, you know, like I remember like when COVID first hit, people were like, reinvent yourself in the quarantine. Yeah. They were like, dye your hair, try out those looks, take yeah. all the photos. Yeah. And I'm like, and in this moment, I think this moment is so much about intention, right? How are we intentionally looking to build and to lean in to the conversations that we're trying to have with God? Because I mean, the truth is we might be speaking, 
But, you know, if we're speaking the way we think we need to speak versus the way that, like, we need to engage with other people, like, who's listening? And I think for us, it's like, how do we find more alignment with ourselves and our spirituality? I, I think alternatives are important, but also, like, look at all your alternatives, right? Like, for the most part, my recommendation to people is, like, I typically try to go with, I typically try to go with, a priest or somebody that I know who practices a more Jesuit tradition because they tend to be more liberal, right? And in that, they are more, in my experience, more social justice leaning in their approach to Catholicism. Now, that's my personal opinion, of course, but I think for me, that's how I have found synergy. That doesn't always mean that we're batting 100, right? There are many times, and, and there are many times where I have been like, can you tell me about this thing that you said in the sermon? Can you hold this with me? Like, and Catholic public opinion doesn't just mean the opinion of the priests or the bishops. You got plenty of Catholic people in your network, right? Like, think about the transformative power of having that conversation with your mom. Like, actually, you know, they said something during, during Mass today, and it really sat with me, and I'm struggling. Like, that to me, that to me is a conversation between you, your mom and God, right? Like to me, that is a holy conversation because we are self-reflecting on our religion with the understanding of like bettering both ourselves and the people around us. If people want to know more about Catholics for Choice and support your cause, where can they go? So uh, you can go to our website, which is catholics4forchoice.org. We are also on Twitter at Catholics, the number four, and then choice. Um, for folks that are interested in just engaging in broader conversations, we oftentimes use the, we oftentimes use the hashtag ProChoiceCatholics, um, really as a way to just build community and like conversation in a digital sphere. We're also on Facebook and folks can check us out there. Um, and folks are more than welcome. I do, so my job in particular, I am the domestic states programs manager. And uh, what that means, because it doesn't mean anything to anybody else. <laughs> when I say that, they're like, that's great. They're like, what do you do? <laughs> what do you do? Uh, so I, I get the pleasure of, I do a lot of our state-based work, which means that I go and I spend time in state capitals working with pro-choice Catholic legislators on strategic communications, on how to advance sexual and reproductive health. And I also work in a lot of the coalitions, right? So I also get to throw down one-on-one -on -one with a lot of the people that are working on the ground around issues of sexual and reproductive health, immigration, LGBTQ issues, um, all the things that I am both passionate about and are the intersections of my life. Um, so I feel blessed in that way. You are um, but yeah, person. You get to work. I am. Living your truth day and night. I'm so proud of you, Gabby. Thank you for coming on the show. And I appreciate you doing all the hard work you do to lift us all up. No, thank you. And I think and I think these conversations these conversations are so important. Like like we need to we need to be talking, right? And my hope is that we don't just have these conversations in English. Mi esperanza que también o sea, reconocemos que es importante tener estas conversaciones en español también, porque nuestra gente y nuestra familia también merece tener entendido que nosotros también son personas religiosas. No somos divididos, sino somos juntos con dos perspectivas distintas. Gracias, Gaby. 
thank you so much. I really appreciate you sharing your journey and all your wisdom tonight. Thank you. It's so good to be with you. It's so good to see you. I am so, I feel so lucky whenever we just get to share space with people nowadays. Like even a phone call feels like such a gift. Same here. Thank you so much, Robbie. Gracias.